you know, it's amazing how much of our lives are affected by past rejections, past hurts that we've experienced that we haven't really gotten delivered from, even lies that the devil has told us. And uh, as a result of it, inside of ourselves, there are all these wounded places. And maybe you've had the experience of stumbling into somebody else's wounded place uh, accidentally. You know, it wasn't really your goal to do it, but you, you kind of stumbled into their wounded place in some way. It can happen uh, in many different ways. Uh, we can see this happen. I, you know, maybe, uh, you know, for example, maybe somebody was mocked out when they were a kid about having big feet, right? And so here you are, you know, you don't, you're just getting to know them, maybe here new at school and stuff like that, and one day you make a comment, you say, wow, nice shoes. And uh, they look at you and go, what did you mean by that? And I, I, I thought your shoes were nice. What are you trying to say? Well, I'm not trying to say anything. I just thought the shoes were nice. You think my feet are big, don't you? You hear me? And, and, the, and, and all at once there's like this reaction. And, and this can happen. You know, your present day relationships can be distorted by the pain of things that happened to you. Stupid things kids said or did or something a teacher said in a moment of uh, uh, aggravation or uh, this kind of thing or something your parents did or said or something like this. And, and it leaves this wound inside of you that can have a negative effect on today's relationships and today's interactions. I remember uh, my wife uh, early in our marriage, we were first married, and she was in, really insecure about cooking. Her mom had not really invested a lot in her in that area, and so she, you know, she, it wasn't something I ever commented on or anything like that, but she, you know, felt really weird about her, her cooking, and would she be any good at it, and this kind of thing, and so, you know, we're, we're, I, I'm like totally oblivious, you know, I'm just going through life, you know, with my head stuck in the clouds, and, and so, um, one day we get invited over somebody's house, and so we're we're at this house, and uh, and I, I I'm trying I'm thinking to myself you're invited over somebody's house you want to make them feel good and this kind of thing so I, I'm there and I'm I start complimenting the the food oh what a fantastic job oh man what a great meal I really enjoyed this but thank you so much for having us over we we, we you know oh this is beautiful we love eating you know this is a, you know so after the night is over. I go out in, in the car, and my, we're driving down the road, and I look over, and my wife is like pressed up against the door, you know what I mean, of the, of the car. And after we drive a little while in silence, I, you know, I say, well, uh, what's, you know, what's up? She says, well, you really complimented her you know, meals tonight, didn't you? you know, and I, 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 I said, well, you know, I, I thought you're supposed to do that when you go over somebody's house, you know, to kind of you know, say thank you and all that kind of stuff. But she was hurt, even though there had never been any intent of hurt on my part or anything else like that. She was hurt because of a, of a fearful, wounded place inside of herself. Are you, are you with me? Follow what I'm saying? You know, you, you get married, things can get complicated, you know. When you get, you get relationships, you know, guy-girl relationships, you know. For example... My wife would say, how do you like this dress? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 like, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, is she, is she asking for an appraisal of the dress? Is she asking for me to give her an honest, you know, how that dress fits or looks? Or, this, or is she asking for affirmation, Right? I don't know what is going on, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, do, 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 do. you know, I don't know, how to, I don't know how to respond. And this, this is the way it is. These kinds of things are there. Our present relationships can be destroyed by personality quirks created by unresolved rejection, hurt, and self-will. So let's look at, at a passage of Scripture that I think gives us a powerful key on how we can get released from these things. And it's a passage that you're very familiar with, Isaiah chapter 53. Would you, would you look there if you have a chance to be, to be able to do that? Isaiah 53, and I'm going to start with verse 1. Isaiah 
53, and I'm starting with verse 1. A very important passage about Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death for us. This is what it says. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus, grew up before him, God, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Okay, so now uh, this passage, you normally are thinking of it as it relates to sin, that Jesus Christ bore our sins. I want to talk about that a little bit because it, it is speaking about that. But it's speaking about something way bigger than that. In verse 3, he says, he was despised, forsaken, and rejected. Do you know why he was despised, forsaken, and rejected? So that you could be accepted in the beloved. Verse 4 says, he, he bore our sorrows and our griefs. He was a man of sorrows, it said. Why did, was Jesus a man of sorrows? So that you could have joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. Verse 5, it says, he bore our sin. Why? So that we could have his righteousness. We could be clothed in his garment. He took our sin upon himself. But not just our sin, it says he bore our sicknesses so we could have healing. And in verse 6, he took our waywardness or our iniquity. That's what it's talking about there. He took our waywardness upon himself. You know, all of us, you know, we sing that, that, uh, that hymn sometimes here, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Anybody know what I'm talking about that hymn? We sing that hymn here, and I, I don't know if you're like me, but there isn't a time I sing that that I'm not thinking to myself, boy, that's an exact description of, of, of my heart. But what he's telling us here, it says, he took our iniquity or our waywardness, he took this proneness, and instead he's given us his heart, the heart that desires to do God's will. He's made an exchange at the cross. He's swapped things out. But even though Jesus died for me on the cross, it doesn't mean that I'm living in what he did for me. I can remember uh, years ago when I, I first left here and uh, after, after I graduated, like you, I went up to Oswego, New York, and, and uh, I was in, you know, working in a church up there, and we'd started the, started the basic ministry. And, and uh, <clears throat> I was in this church, and... And I was up late one night. It was like Saturday night. It was probably 1 o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to preach the next day. Um, I, I didn't preach very often at that time, but the pastor was away on a missions trip, and so I was next in line, and I was going to have a chance to preach that, that Sunday morning. And I was studying about Moses and the fact that Moses had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. So it's about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I, I'm just getting all stirred up about this idea of Moses having this face-to-face -face connection. And I'm, I'm thinking about Moses didn't even have Jesus. You know, we've got Jesus. If, if Moses could have a face-to-face -face connection with God, how much more could I have a face-to-face -face connection with God? And, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, I'm there in my, 
in, in this uh, little office room that I, that, that I have, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm praying, and I'm just saying, Lord, you know, I'm kneeling down next to the little couch that's in there, and I'm just saying, Lord, show yourself to me. Lord, make yourself real to me. Lord, I want a face-to-face connection with you like Moses had. And as I'm, I'm praying this prayer, something starts to happen in the room. Now, I've never had this happen since that time, but, and I never had it happen before that time, but it happened in that moment. As I'm praying, I'm crying out for this face-to-face connection with the Lord. It's like the presence of God becomes liquid and fills the room. It's like I feel like if I move my head, it's like I can't just move my head. It's like I'm moving through fluid almost, like I'm moving through liquid. The presence of God is so intense And as I prayed this prayer, and now this intense sense of God's presence is coming, and it's not stopping. It just keeps increasing. It's increasing. It's increasing. And suddenly I realize that the Lord is going to answer my prayer, and he's going to give me this face-to-face experience, this, this connection in this way. And my reaction was a surprise to me, as it may be a surprise to you, because This intensity just grew, 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 grew until I knew I was right on the verge of this encounter. And all at once I said, stop, stop, no, no. And just as, you know, the presence had come, there was like, bam, just like that. It was like all at once that whole liquid sense and that whole weird thing that was happening, all that stuff just disappeared in a second. And I I, I was there and, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, why are you afraid of me? And I said to the Lord, I said, well, Lord, uh, you know, I, I said, I have a lot of things in my life that are, that are messed up. I said, and the idea of coming into your absolute holiness and everything, it's just, it's just, it's very frightening to me. It's more than I can bear, because I'm so conscious of my fallenness. I'm so conscious of my failures and my weaknesses. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment again, and he said, he said to me, he said, your sin separated me once from somebody I loved very much. He said, now you've allowed it to separate me again from somebody that I love. You see, my sin had separated God from his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Jesus Christ cried out, uh, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the reason God allowed that to happen, the reason that whole thing happened, was so that he would never have to be separated from those that he loved ever again. But when I turned away from him, I basically repeated, I, I, essentially what I said was, you know what Jesus Christ did on the cross really wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for me be able, to be able to go boldly into your presence. It wasn't good enough for me to understand that I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't good enough. And, 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 and so the thing I want you to see is, is this. Even though God did this, even though God made this amazing sacrifice, even though Jesus Christ died on the cross, even though I had received Christ into my own heart and life, the reality was that I was not getting the full benefit of what he had done on the cross for me. Does this make sense to you? You know, he he had done something for me that I could have walked in. I could have been in the presence of the Lord, absolutely close with him. And I pray some of you have that exact experience that I had someday in in a greater way than I did, that you won't shrink back the way I shrunk back. But I, I, but I, I short circuited. I that is what Christ did in Isaiah 53 here, being wounded for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. What he, the sacrifice that he made doesn't necessarily have an impact in my life unless I enter into it, unless I receive it, unless I by faith 
believe it, place my, my, my faith in it in that kind of way. It's substitution. Substitution is the heart of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, And he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I think of the story of the Jewish sinner when he would come with his lamb to the, to the tabernacle. And he would bring the lamb in and, and, and they would take, the priest would take the lamb and, and prepare it and lay it on the altar. And the man would come and he would lay his hand on the lamb and he would confess his sin over the lamb. You know, all these things, he, you know, sins of attitude, sins of motive, sins of action. He would confess his sins over the lamb. And then the priest would take the lamb and with the knife he'd slice the lamb's throat. And the blood would flow out and the lamb would be quickly gone in a moment. And somehow that Jewish believer through that experience, came away with, a, with some sense of peace. That somehow their guilt had been imparted to the lamb, and now the lamb had been slain, and they were now standing before God uh, in that blood, that they were standing before God in a, in, in a way that their sin would no longer be counted against them. Now, I want to say to you the same thing that the writer of Hebrews says. If that man drew any peace from the blood of bulls and goats, how much more should you and I have a sense of peace when we have the very blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, poured out for us? How much more should we be able to know our sins are forgiven? We've been, we're absolutely been made clean. Absolutely been made clean. Now, even though Jesus died for our sins, we don't experience the power of that sacrifice unless we enter in to it the way that Jewish believer entered in. By faith, he placed his sin upon that, that, that creature, that lamb, and when the lamb died, he felt his sin had been paid for. There was an entering in. And this, in essence, is what happens to every one of us when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We're trusting in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We're placing our faith in what he did. And we, we say Jesus was slain, and now we stand in his righteousness. We have been made clean. We have been made whole. We can go boldly into the throne room of grace without fear because the blood of Christ has been shed for us. It's covered our sin. But Jesus' death is bigger than just our sins. And this is what I want you to see, and this is something that gets missed by many. He didn't simply bear our sins. The Bible says he bore our rejections. He was despised and forsaken of men. He bore our sorrows and our griefs, the hurts that have touched your life. Jesus says you can impart those. In the same way as you by faith imparted your sin, you can impart your sorrows and griefs, the pain that has touched your heart. You can lay that upon Christ. And as Christ is slain at the cross, the same way your sins were cleansed, you actually can experience the release from rejections, a release from your sorrows and griefs, a release from your sicknesses. It says that by his stripes you're healed, that you can, by faith, place your sicknesses upon Christ. And, 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 and by his stripes you can experience, by what he did at the cross, 
and your iniquity or your waywardness, your self-will, that thing in you that is prone to wander, that literally he bore that. It says he took our iniquity upon himself so that we could have the heart that says, I desire to do your will, O God. We could literally have Jesus' heart in our heart. Like sin, these problems can affect us even though fully born by Christ. Just in the same way, as I, in the story I told you earlier, Jesus had died for me. I supposedly had entered into it, but I hadn't really. And because I hadn't really, I was not really experiencing the benefit when it came to sin. I wasn't experiencing the benefit of what Christ had done for me. And this can be the same way for these other areas. And I wanted to share with you just a couple of stories of where the Lord has healed me and where he can heal you through the cross. Let's talk a little bit about rejection. Uh, I think I probably was, a, even as a child, was a bit of an expert on rejection. My family was, uh, was uh, very messed up, and uh, I can remember at one point there my mother and my father having a fight, but the fight was not who was going to keep me when they were separating. The fight was who was going to impose me on the, other, on the other person. And I remember it was some kind of a lawyer situation, and a judge was there, and, and I can remember just being a very, very small child, and I, I can remember the judge looking at my parents and looking at me and, 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 and kind of saying to them, you know, what, what is it, you know, what is it you're... You know, you're in front of him, you're fighting about who is going to be forced to take him. And even though I was only like maybe four years old, I didn't really comprehend everything that was going on. Uh, I, I can remember that experience. Well, when I was young, uh, you know, let's say eight, nine years old, um, I didn't have a father around the house. And so if I wanted to, if I wanted to do anything, my mom, you know, was, uh, she was pretty limited uh, we were poor as church, church mice, except we didn't have any of the consolation of church because we weren't in church at all. But we were very, very poor people. And uh, so anyway, if I wanted to do something, even at that young age, eight, nine years old, I realized that I'm going to have to do this myself because my mother wasn't in the place of being able to do much. And so um, I got it in my mind that I wanted to play in Little League Baseball. And I don't know exactly how I did it, but by hook or by crook, somehow I got a hold of a baseball glove. And I was really all excited about this baseball glove. And, and, uh, and, and, and so I had heard from my neighborhood friends that they were going to be having tryouts for the Little League uh, in my city. I was in, in Utica, New York. The tryouts were up at the parkway in Utica, New York, which was several miles away from where I lived. But on the day that the tryouts were going to be happening, I walked, this nine-year-old kid, I walked the two or three miles to the parkway, and I went to the, to, to the, to the tryouts. Now, as an adult, I know now what probably happened, because I'm sure I was supposed to sign some piece of paper, or maybe I was even supposed to pay some money, or I was supposed to do something to be a part of these things. But I didn't have any adult with me. I was just by myself. And so I just got there, and I just started um, jumping into the practices that were going on and the things that were happening, trying to win a spot on one of the teams. Because what they did was they had all the coaches there, and all the kids would, like, play a little bit of, um, you know, of ball. And, 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 then, and then the coaches would pick the kids that they wanted. And then at the end, they would announce what team you were on. And so... Uh, I played, you know, and did everything I could to try and do the right things. And then finally, at the, as we were moving toward evening, it was starting to become dusky outside, they began reading off the, the lists. And, uh, you know, so they say, you know, the Phillies, and then they would name the, the kids that were, that were on that team. And, of course, as, as a kid's name was called, he would like, yeah you know, I'm a Philly, and his father would be there with him and would pat him on the back, and, and you know, they would walk together to their car. Now they knew what team they were going to be on. And, and so they went through probably 10 or 12 teams, naming all the kids as I was sitting in this crowd with everybody else. It's getting darker and darker and darker. 
And then finally, they read the last set of names, and my name isn't included. And uh, everybody's up and gone now. And, and, I, and so I thought, well, I, I, guess, I guess that wasn't good enough. And, and I started walking home. I don't know, I couldn't tell you what happened, but somehow as I was walking home that day, I, if you had asked me when I got home, I wouldn't have been able to articulate what happened. But somehow in that, that little boy's wounded heart, a, a vow was made, a decision was made, that I would never again be rejected because of sports. I didn't understand it why from then on I did everything I could to avoid any gym classes at the school. I, I didn't understand why I, I, as a matter of fact, getting into high school, getting into so much trouble, they almost wanted to throw me out because I just would not participate in any of the gym or sports or any of those activities. I, 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 um, I, I didn't understand why I wouldn't watch baseball games or football games on TV, why I wouldn't have any kind of interaction with sports in any kind of a way. Okay, I just wouldn't. And I was like that. Basically, I grew up. I ended up getting saved. I was still that way. Ended up becoming a Christian as a 17-year-old. Somebody witnessed to me on a street corner and, uh, and came to Bible school. I was still that way. Did everything I could to avoid anything like that, any kind of sports or any kind of thing along that line. And then I went, as I told you, to Oswego, and while I'm in Oswego, I'm, uh, I'm in this church, and I'm trying to be a good, I'm like the assistant pastor to, to help this guy. All at once, some of the guys in the church come, come, come and they go, hey, guess what we're going to do? This is going to be awesome. What are we going to do? We're going to have a church softball team. Well, you got to play, Mike, you got to play. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, I don't really think, uh, I, you know, I, I'm just really, I've never done anything like that. I don't really think it's not really something. I'm like, you got him, Mike, come on, come on. You got to be part of the team. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, but the pastor says to me, yeah, it would probably be good if you played with, you know, played with the team, you know, the assistant pastor in the church and everything like that. So I thought, what? So here I am. And so I go get a baseball bring this baseball glove home. Looking at this glove, it's kind of cool. I decide I'm going to oil, oil it up, you know, and I get the glove and I start oiling it up and, and I'm feeling really good about this glove, you know. I'm saying, you, got, you know, I'm telling my wife, you know, I'm trying to explain to my wife, honey, you got to break these gloves in, you know, they they got to be broken in a certain way. I'm going to oil this baby up. I'm going to tie it up and then I'm going to put it between our mattress and box spring on our bed. And my wife is going, you're going to what? And I said, yeah, I said, that's the, I remember when I was a kid, that was the way you kind of broke them in. You put them in there between the mattress and the box, spring, all oiled up and everything like that. And, and uh, my wife is going, what has become of you? What, what, what is happening, you know? But what was happening was I was, for the first time, beginning to process in Christ, this whole rejection that I had in my heart. Well, I was a terrible softball player. They put me in right field. If you know anything about softball, when they, they put you in right field because nothing ever happens in right field, you know. When, but I would go out in right field and, and I would have these visions that would come to my mind. We, we played at a little softball thing down, like the, the one we have down here at the, at the school with, you know, has three little benches that people can sit on, you know, little stands. And, but, but as I'm going out in right field, I'm getting, this, I'm getting these pictures. You know, I see myself in right field, and, and the ball gets hit. And it's a high fly ball, and I'm running backwards and running backwards and running back. And I throw my glove up, and I grab the ball, kind of a snow cone catch right at the top of my glove. And the stands, all three bleachers, the people leap to their feet, and they cheer for me. You know, this, this isn't really happening now, mind you. This is just, this is just happening in my 
in my mind, right? This is just good. This is, you know, probably if the ball ever got hit out to me out there, I would have been a total disaster. But, but this is just happening in my mind. And what's happening is this, is that, that this rejection that I experienced that shaped so much of my life and influenced all of my participation in sports and all this kind of, this thing is being healed, is being processed. Why? It's being processed because Jesus Christ was despised and forsaken and rejected. And he took all of my rejection on himself and he gave me all of his acceptance. And in that beautiful Christian atmosphere with those Christian people that were there, something began to happen inside of me and I became free from something that had been a bondage inside my heart, a bondage that I never could have explained to you. I couldn't, it wasn't until later that I understood. I couldn't have said to you, why don't you like sports? Why won't you watch a football game? Why won't, I couldn't have explained to you what it was, but it was a woundedness inside of myself. And I'm saying to you right now, you've got some woundedness inside of yourself that you have got to place by faith upon Christ. I said that he took our rejections, but he also took our sorrows and our griefs. Our sorrows and our griefs. I had a problem for a long time in my personality. And it was a weird kind of a problem. Again, I didn't understand exactly where it had came from. But the problem was that... Um, that when somebody would tell me something sour, sourful or tragic, I would laugh. <laughs> somebody, somebody said, oh, I do the same thing. And, 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 uh, and, and, and so they would tell me something sorrowful, and instead of responding in a way that seemed, you know, that would be normal, I would, I, you know, for example, if you told me, you know, hey, there was a 31-car pileup on 390, in my mind, in my mind, I wouldn't see the tragedy of all, all the damage and potential hurt to people and everything else. In my mind, it would play like a cartoon. And I would see like the cars into each other and people out there, windows shaking their fists. And, you know, it was, that, that's the, that, that's the, that's what would happen inside my mind. And so when you would, when the person would be telling me this tragic activity, I would be laughing. I, I, you know, I would just, I'd have to, I'd, I'd, I, I would have to kind of like, you know, kind of hold it in because I knew it wasn't appropriate, but it just struck me as really, really funny. And so, again, I didn't understand exactly what was happening inside of me, but I was here at Elam. I'd come to Elam, and uh, there was a girl that I, it was like maybe my second year that I had, formed a relationship with you know you think it's tough now with trying to have, get a relationship with a girl going here it was tough back then you know we the, you, you, there were only two places on campus that you could really talk to a girl one of them was um uh what they called the fishbowl and the, the fishbowl was this was this walk right out here walk down, go down to the, the street in front of the school, walk around, come along College Hall, come back around again, and come in the big giant circle. And the reason they called it the fishbowl is that you could have a private conversation, but wherever you were in the circle, somebody could see you, right? You, could be, you were seen at all the time. When I, when I was here as a student, they used to say, I can remember my dean of men saying to me, saying to me, when you begin a conversation with a girl, you lift your leg up like this. Lift your leg up. And when your foot comes down, you be walking away. That's what, it, that's what they said. When you can't hold your leg up anymore, you, you got to start walking away. Now listen, I knew some guys who had thighs as big as, you know. They, they just got so they could, you know, they, they, could, hold their, uh, they could hold their leg up, you know. The, the other place that you could talk to a girl was uh, have a private conversation, sort of was the snack bar, which would be kind of equivalent to the student center area where, where we are now. It was, like a, it was like a snack bar area. And, um, and so one night, I'm sitting there. Uh, we, we, we used to be able to talk between uh, 
9.30 and 10.30. One, you had one hour that you could have a conversation in the, in the thing. And so it was there, and I'm sitting there with this girl that I'm kind of forming a relationship with. And, uh, and we're talking, and I start telling her a story. And I start telling her the story about when I was a, when I was a kid, I had done a science project at school hatching chickens. And, uh, and so I had built this, you remember now, I'm, these things are big accomplishments for me because I don't have anybody helping me, you know, I gotta do this all myself. So I had gotten the, the, all the parts I needed, it was a couple of boxes and they were insulated with paper between them, newspaper crumpled up. And, uh, and then I had to get an aquarium heater, which I shoplifted, because I didn't have any money, so I could, I, could have the, I, I, could, I could have the little heater to heat the thing up, and I had to get a pane of glass that would go across the top of the thing, and got the thing. And so I set up this little, this little thing to hatch chickens. And then at school, because it was a school-sponsored activity, they gave me the eggs, and um, I brought the eggs home and put them in my box, to hatch these chickens. Has anybody ever done this experiment? No, nobody did that? You people didn't have an education. I, you know, I feel sorry for you. So, 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 so I, bring this, I bring this little thing home. Now, when you, chickens, it takes 21 days for chicken egg to incubate. And if you're in charge of it, you have to do what the mother does, which is she has to rotate the egg. You have to be, every few hours, you have to rotate the egg, you know. So I, if I was away somewhere, I'd call home and say, hey, mom, turn the eggs for me. Will you turn the eggs, you know, so they, they could turn. Getting them to, to the place after 21 days where they hatched. And they started hatching. Everything was going good. And I was down to the last egg, getting ready to hatch. And it was late, late at night, and I could tell it was ready to hatch, but not quite. And I, I wanted to catch it when it hatched to get it, to get it out of the incubator box into a, into a drying box because the incubator heater was in that box, and then I was afraid that if the, if the chicken got near the heater, it might get a little burnt. And so I, I didn't want that to happen, so I was there sitting by the box waiting for this chicken to hatch, waiting, 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 and I fell asleep. And then in the middle of the night, I hear beep, 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 beep. I, 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 I jump up, I go over, and sure enough, the little chick has gone over and gotten a little burnt touching this, uh, this incubator heater. And I, so I take the little chick, and I put it into the drying box with the other, with the other chickens. Now, chickens are kind of like people. <laughs> they, they have like a, a pecking order. So whoever the first chicken out He's kind of like the big honcho in the box, right? You know what I mean? And he makes sure every other chicken below him, and then every, and it kind of works like that. Everyone, as they come out, they kind of establish their position. And of course, this poor chicken, not only is it the youngest chicken in the, this little chick, not only is it the youngest one, but it's wounded. It's got this little, this little wound on it. And the wound is such that there's, a, there's enough pain there that the chicken doesn't want to move. It doesn't want to run around much, but it only does one little thing. The, the little chicken, it, he, he's, he's laying down there, and he beats his little wings and beats his little wings, and finally he gets, so he's up on his little feet, and then one of the other chickens runs by, hits him, and he falls down. <laughs> And then the little chicken does it all over again. The little chicken's like, he's trying to, you know, gets back up, gets back up again. Boop. Bam, he goes back down again. So I'm telling her this story at the snack bar, and I am roaring laughing. I am roaring laughing. I just think it's hilarious, this little chick trying to fight to get up and, you know, and then get knocked down and everything else. I'm roaring laughing. And she's looking at me, like kind of staring at me. And after a little while, she says to me, she says, Mike, she says, you're not really laughing. And I was like, you know, you know how that is when somebody says something that's like so true, but it's true at a level that you're not even fully aware of and, and you don't know how to react to it, you know. She says, you're not really laughing. I'm, you know, who died and left you the psychologist? You know what I mean? What, you know, what, <laughs> how do you know whether I'm laughing or not? I sure feel like I'm laughing. I, you know, tap the person at the table next to me. Do I look like I'm laughing to you? You know, and, and, I, I, and I, I, you know, I, I kind of 
blow a lot of smoke. And then I leave. And when I leave, I, I go to a quiet place. And I'm struggling with this thing. Her saying to me, you're not really laughing. I'm struggling with this. And so I say to, uh, I say to the Lord, I say, Lord, why is this bothering me? You know, uh, why, is, why did she say that? What, what does this mean I'm not really laughing? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't get it, you know, what's happening here. And the Lord reminds me of something. I'm a little kid. Now, I don't know why this was the case. I don't know whether it was because of my weird family background or my temperament or what the deal was. But when I was little, I was like extremely sensitive. I was so sensitive that I would start crying, not... I would start crying not when I, um, uh, not simply when I would uh, um, experience something negative, but if you were near me and you experienced something negative, if there was something around, some, some way that you were hurt or something like that, I was so sensitive that I would start crying over your hurt. I would have such a sense of empathy in that situation. So I was like, this is like, you know, I'm like maybe fourth grade. I'm like super, super sensitive in this situation. And, um, and so I'm in a classroom. This memory comes back to me. I'm in this classroom, and, um, and there's a kid who's kind of a bully, and he's kind of picking on the, the class scapegoat. And... Uh, teacher is for some reason out of the room and the and this bully is picking on this kid like like really going after this kid this 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 uh this this kind of awkward kid really going after him and as i'm sitting there in the room i can feel myself my my throat starting to tighten up i can feel myself starting to kind of like uh, choke up to cry, getting ready to cry because this kid is picking on this other kid so, so bad. But, I'm, but, in, but a tremendous, I have this tremendous fear that comes over me because I'm thinking to myself, if I, if I start crying, these other kids, you know how kids can be mean like at a really deep level? And I think to myself, if I start crying, these other kids are going to come after me. In a, you know, they're going to come after me. Maybe this bully will even start coming after me. And so instead of crying, I turn toward this kid who's kind of the scapegoat, and I start laughing. <laughs> and I'm laughing at him because I can't, I, I can't expose myself to everybody. The, what I'm really feeling is this emotion of crying. And the Lord shows me this. It's like I hadn't thought about this. And just as I'm praying, this memory just comes back to me and just shows this to me. He said, and the Lord says to me, he says, on that day, you became your own emotional defense, the Lord says to me. And he says, since then, you've been doing your own little system, your own little way of kind of protecting yourself, this laughing thing. And, uh, you know, he bore our sorrows and our griefs. So I just, I just came to the Lord. I just said, Lord, I, I just give this to you. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be this fake person who's projecting this certain kind of a, kind of a thing. I want, to be, I want to be real. I want, you know, I want. It was a few nights later, and I was in the snack bar again with this, uh, with this uh, girl. And we were talking again, and I was telling her a story again, and I was laughing again. And she, again, looked very serious. And she looked at me and she said, she said, Mike, she said, you're not really laughing again. And I said to her, I said, okay, okay. I said, just, just wait a second. And we just stopped for a second. 
And I began to sob. And I began to cry. And the Lord was healing me. See, some of you that are here, you need to find Christ. You need to understand what he did for you at the cross, that he didn't just take your sin. He took your rejections, and he took your sorrows and your griefs. He took your hurts, and he took them upon himself. The third thing I said is that I would talk to you about rejection, hurt, and self-will. Uh, self-will, iniquity, is me wanting my own way. My, uh, just not, not having the heart of the Lord, but my, just my own, wanting my own desire, my own way kind of thing. And, and, I, I, and, and this manifested itself actually after I left school here. I was, I was here uh, for three years here at school, and then I went up to Oswego, and I was working with a pastor up in Oswego. His name is Ron Smallman, very, very close friend of mine. Guy had a huge influence on me. But while I was there, uh, near the end of the time I was there with him, I, I just somehow totally lost grace for this person. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. But I just, I just, here was a person that, I mean, I had so much that I, I love them and I care about them and everything else, but I totally lost grace for this person and everything about them started bothering me. Everything started bothering me. I, I didn't like the way they prayed. You know, they had a, you know how people pray, they have a certain rhythm, you know, Lord God, and we ask you, blah, 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 and Lord God, blah, 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 and Lord God, we see, you know, and they have a certain rhythm. Like, well, he had a certain rhythm, and I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear this, you know, <laughs> just stop praying like this, you know. He, when he would, when he would, uh, when, when he would be talking, he would bounce on his toes, you know, he'd bounce on his toes, and, and every time he bounced on his toes, it was like, like chalk on a blackboard to me. It was like so irritating to me, just tremendously irritating. And, 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 and even the way he said, Jesus, you know, he would say, Jesus, you know, I would just say Jesus, you know what I mean? You don't need to say Jesus, you know, what, what is this all about, you know? I, I, and I just totally lost grace for the guy. I just couldn't, you know, I just... And uh, so finally, I get so fed up, I decide I'm going to tell him what's bothering me. And I, I set up an appointment with him. He's my, he's my pastor now that I'm working with. He's the lead pastor. I'm like an assistant. And I'm going to tell him basically all these things I don't like about him. And, uh, and so we get, we get into this office, and I said to him, you know, I said, you've been doing some things, I said, that are really irritating to me, and I'm wanting to see you stop this stuff, and... And so he says to me, well, he says, well, Mike, what exactly is bothering you? And when he says to me, what exactly is bothering you? I think to myself, I can't really say to him, I don't like the way you say Jesus. You know what I mean? I just think to myself, that, that sounds so stupid, right? It sounds so petty. You know, how, how, could I, how could I say to him, he says, what's really bothering you? Well, I don't like when you bounce on your toes. You know what I mean? It's just, and so I say to him, I say, listen, I say, I say to him, this is what we're going to do. I said, we're, we're going to meet together again next week, and I'm going to tell you exactly what's bothering me. And I come up with a plan. And the plan is I'm going to carry a piece of paper with me, and every time he does something that I think is irritating, I'm going to write it down during that week so that when I actually sit down with him, I have good things to bring up rather than Jesus. You know what I mean? I, just, I, want, something, I want something better to bring up to the situation. So, so I start doing this all week long. I'm making a list, you know. I'm envisioning when I finally am able to talk to him. He says to me, well, what exactly is bothering you? And I read, you know, reach into my pocket and I pull out like a scroll, you know. And just, you know, it kind of rolls out across the floor. And, I'm, and I can start going through it and saying all the things that, that, that are bothering me. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know every, everything he's doing that I don't like or I think is wrong, you know, I'm just listing these things. 
So I do this all week long. Finally, it comes down to the following Sunday, Sunday morning. I wake up Sunday morning, and I feel terrible. I mean, I just, I feel like, not like, uh, not like physically terrible, but I feel like spiritually, like I'm absolutely a spiritual black hole. You know, like if you came near me and you had anything good in you, I would just suck it right out of you. You know what I mean? I'm just like a, I'm a vacuum of darkness. You know, I just feel this terrible, terrible feeling. So I'm supposed to teach a Sunday school class. And I think to myself, well, what I'll do is I'm going to go in early and I'm going to go into this Sunday school class and I'm going to pray and, you know, hopefully get this thing taken care of because I'm afraid if, if people, if Sunday school class people come in, they're just, you know, they're going to walk out unsaved. You know what I mean? They're going to get like, I'm going to wipe them out, you know, just coming near me. And so I, I, um, I go to the room early and I begin to, I begin to pray, I begin to pray. And uh, I'm feeling terrible. I'm saying, Lord, why am I feeling so terrible? What is, what is all this? And, and, and the, the Lord says to me, you, you are separated from me. Your sin has separated you from me. And I say to the Lord, Lord, my sin has separated from you. What do you mean? I don't understand what you mean. And the Lord says, your sin is in your pocket. So I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes at church, people would come up to you at the end of the service and they would say, hey, could you put this in the offering for me? And they'd give you a check or something. I'm thinking to myself, I forgot somebody's tithe check in my pocket. And that's what the Lord is irritated about, you know. So I start searching through my pockets trying to find, and I, I, I'm doing fine until my hand goes in and touches the piece of paper where I've been listing this guy's faults. And I pull this piece of paper out, and the Lord says to me, when you started keeping a list on him, I started keeping a list on you. And I, I was like, ah! You know, I remember I dropped the paper, and I said, you know, tear, tear up the list. I, I tear up my list. I, I tear up the list. I don't want you to have a list on me. You know, it's one thing for me to have a list on Ron. It's another thing altogether for God who knows everything, every thought, every glance, every, every you know, for him to have a list on me. I'm saying, I don't want anything to do with that. Get, you know, just get, get rid of that. And the Lord begins to deal with me, see, and helps me to understand right, that he wants to give me his heart. Not that selfish, self-centered heart that I've had, but that he died on the cross. It says he bore your iniquities. He died on the cross so that you could have his heart. Now, I'm telling you right now, in this room, there are people who have unresolved rejections, unresolved um, hurts, sorrows, people that have been struggling with waywardness in their heart. That is this this thing pulling them away because they've never realized that they could place that waywardness upon Christ the same way they placed their sin upon Christ and that he literally could give them a new heart. That's what he says he's going to do in the new covenant. He'll write his laws upon your mind. He'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. That he wants to heal you. And I want us to just, I want to just give you an opportunity. Just like that, just like that man who brought the lamb to the, to the tabernacle and came to the point where he laid his hands upon the lamb and he confessed his sin over that lamb. And the lamb was slain. I want to give you an opportunity today. If the Lord has lit up something for you while I've been speaking, some area in your life, some unresolved issue, maybe something that, like me, you don't even fully comprehend 
the significance of it or the impact of it, but you just know something is wrong, something is not right. That you could come tonight and place your hands upon Christ and confess that thing over the Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who literally is on the cross for you right in this moment. You could confess that thing upon Christ, and he would bear all of your rejections. He would bear all your sorrows and griefs. He would bear all of your sickness, all of your sin, all of your iniquity, and that you could receive his life. I'm going to just ask the musicians to come on up, if you would. And, and I want to ask you right now, if you want to make an altar today and just come forward just come up here and just come forward you don't even have to understand it completely for this to work just in the same way you really didn't understand your sin and it worked when you prayed and received Jesus Christ you can lay your sorrows your grief some of you have hurts with your parents some of you have hurts with fathers and mothers some of you have have incredibly painful horrific experiences that have touched your life that have left you marked in some kind of a way some of you have a tendency toward waywardness that you look at and you say where is this coming from inside of me why is it i can't seem to yield myself what is it happening you can lay this upon Christ. And so I want to just invite you right now, if you just sense something uh, in what I've said that relates to you, just come right up here right now. Just make an altar for yourself in this situation. You have hurt. You have hidden vows. You have secret vows, some of you, that are in your, that are in your head that you don't even, it's, it's like you don't even know the vow is there, like my vow about not having anything to do with sports, and yet it affects your whole life. You know, if you had asked me, I would have just said, oh, I'm just not a sports person. I would have said, it's just not my personality. But that wasn't what it was at all. It was that I had experienced rejection. And somehow had come up with this vow as a way of protecting myself. Listen, you can experience a healing right now that no psychologist could give you. You could experience a healing right now by placing your sin, by placing your hurt, by placing your rejection, by placing your iniquity, by placing your sorrows and griefs upon Jesus Christ right now. Whatever that pain is that has touched you, whatever that hurt, whatever that place where you've become your own self-protection, you can lay that on him right now. The same way that guy did on the lamb, you could extend your hands right now and you could confess over Christ. You could give it to him the same way you gave your sin to him. You could give these sorrows and griefs to him. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I can't do this for you. This is something you have to do for yourself. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. We don't have the ability. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth to be able to even understand, Lord. We couldn't even articulate it. If someone were to ask us right now to explain what we're feeling, we wouldn't even know how to put it into words. But even though we don't understand, you understand, Lord, and we can lay it upon you. You took our sorrows and our griefs upon you. You took it all upon you, Lord. 
Oh, Jesus, you bore it all, our sin and our sickness and our waywardness. You took it all upon you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I just ask you to speak in the same way that you spoke to me. Lord, I ask you to speak to these, my brothers and sisters. Lord, for some of us, there are some things inside of us that we just don't even, we don't understand the root of them. And they seem so powerful and they seem so contrary to you and to your nature. And we think to ourselves, how could I love God and still be doing these things and feeling these things and thinking these things, never understanding that we haven't experienced the fullness of what you've done at the cross. We haven't laid it all on you. We gave our sins to you, but we didn't give it all, the iniquity, the brokenness in our souls, Lord. We didn't give it all to you. Spirit of God. You can take these quirks. Some of us, these quirks have damaged our relationships with our families and they've damaged our relationships with our with our roommates and the people around us. It's like we don't even know. We don't know how to explain. Why do I react like this? Why do I, why do I respond in these situations like this? Why, why, why? I just don't get it, Lord. I don't get why. I don't even like myself. Oh, Spirit of God. And the truth is that we've just got this emotional baggage, this pain, this hurt that needs to be laid upon Christ that needs to be given to him who bore your griefs and your sorrows. It needs to be cast upon him. Oh, Spirit of God, you can make us whole people. We can't do it ourselves, Lord. We can't think our way through it. We can't do it ourselves, Lord. We need you to do it. Move by your Spirit. Move by your Spirit, oh Lord. Move by your spirit. Make us the people that you want us to be. Heal us in the ways we can't even express, Lord. We can't even explain. Heal us, Lord. Precious spirit of God. Precious spirit of God. Lord, we're all survivors. And that's all we've been trying to do as, as little kids even growing up. We just, we're just trying to survive. Some of us have been through horrible situations. We're just trying to survive. And yet, Lord, we have become our own defense. We haven't allowed you to be the defense. We haven't allowed you to be the protection. We haven't allowed you to be the one. And so, and so we, we have protected ourselves. And when we've done it, like Adam and Eve making flimsy garments out of leaves to try and hide our nakedness, we, we create stupid emotional barriers and different things to try and hide the emptiness and the nakedness that we feel. We make our own protections instead of trusting in what you have done for us at the cross that you could be our emotional strong tower, that you could be our emotional fortress, that you could be our buckler and our shield. You could be the one. Oh, precious Spirit of God. Precious Spirit of God. Don't leave us, Lord, to ourselves. Don't leave us to our own abilities. Don't leave us to our own capacities, Lord. We cannot do it. We need you. We need you. We need you, Lord, and we need the rest of the body of Christ to speak to us. I thank you for that girl looking at me and saying, you're not really crying, and helping me see something I couldn't see for myself, Lord. Oh, God, give us precious people like that in our lives that could help us, that could speak to us, that could encourage us. Help us, Lord, to see things the way they really are. Oh, precious Spirit. Precious Spirit of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We just forgive them now, Lord. We forgive those 
those classmates with those terrible expressions and words that they made toward us that hurt us so deeply, even as children, when we were vulnerable. We, we, couldn't, we didn't really have the emotional equipment to defend ourselves. And they said such mean and hurtful things. Lord, we forgive those teachers that, that only, they didn't even mean it. Maybe they didn't even say it. But we heard certain things that left us wounded left us hurt. Lord, we forgive our parents, Lord, for all their brokenness. And they're they're making such crazy decisions sometimes, decisions that that just, just left us devastated. Oh, God. Lord, we need you. We need you to change us. We need you to make us the people that you want us to be. We can't do it ourselves. Precious Spirit of God. Precious Spirit of God. Precious Spirit of God. Help.